Open the Bible with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We have laid the foundation for the last couple of Sundays. We'll not need to lay any more of a foundation. Let's go immediately into the things that we need to be reminded of and to learn from God's Word about being the joyful, happy, glad believers that we should be. Philippians 4.4, a rule of the gospel. Rejoice, that's an imperative verb. It's a commandment, it's a duty, it's something you are supposed to do. Rejoice. Then it tells you the object, source, reason, power of doing so. Rejoice in the Lord, and how often, when you feel like it, when your circumstances are positive, or always. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Holy Spirit identifying repetition for your benefit. Rejoice. Commandment in the Lord, the highest goal, object, purpose, power of joy, and to do it always. And again, I say, rejoice. Because we have a flesh that does not want us to rejoice. And it will come up with every thought and every distraction with the help of the devil in the world to keep us from such joy. If you look back at chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul also wrote there, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. In verse 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. So we have right here in close proximity three references to our joy in the Lord. Look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. The rules for happiness, or happiness helpers, or suggestions for joy are found throughout the pages of the Bible. From the first book to the last book. Here we have one statement made to Abram. Genesis 15. This follows Abram taking 318 trained domestic servants and chasing down four kings from Mesopotamia that had come 500 miles and wrecked havoc on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain and taken Abraham's nephew Lot and all his family possessions and children captive. Abram took 318 trained servants and defeated four militaries combined together in this confederacy. And when he returned, the king of Sodom offered to give him all the spoils. And Abram wouldn't take anything. He said, I don't need your money. The Lord God has taken care of me and will take care of me. And I wouldn't want it to be said that you helped in the matter. And instead... Instead, Abram gave a tenth of the spoils that he had picked up himself to Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem, at that time and priest of the Most High God. So, instead of becoming very wealthy, as the king of Sodom had designed, he gave gave away 10% of what he himself personally had acquired. Well, we have these words, after these things... The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram didn't fear very much, but he might have feared that those four kings, the message would be told in Mesopotamia of their defeat, and so a greater army would come the next time. But the Lord God Almighty, by which he was known in these days, told Abram, I am your shield. You don't have to worry about anything. And I am thy exceeding great reward. You don't need the king of Sodom giving you anything. And we start off with this fact. True happiness, true joy and fulfillment and gladness and excitement in life is built on the foundation of knowing that the Lord God Jehovah is your God, your friend, as He was a friend to Abraham, and He is your shield, and He is your exceeding great reward. There is no reward on earth that can even be compared to the reward of God, the Lord Jehovah, as our brother Jim just prayed, being your God. And committing Himself to be your shield. And committing Himself to be your great reward. Yea, rather. Thank you, brother. Exceeding great reward. This is the foundation of it. The first and foremost helper to your happiness is God Himself, who is happy and who can make you happy. And your lack in happiness is first and foremost a result of you not walking with Him like you should, like you could, like He begs you, like He helps you to walk with Him. You are walking with the people and the things of this life and you lose. You lose. God doesn't lose. He's never needed you. He'll never need you. You need Him. Lord, help us. To the degree you compromise your relationship with God is the degree you hurt in life. He is a great king and he deserves our best. Malachi 1.14 tells us when we vow we want to give him our very best because he deserves it. He's a great king. He knows when it is our, when we've lost our first love, he knows when we are lukewarm and he deserves better than that. And when we slip and when we slide, according to the word of God, He will withdraw His candlestick from us, which is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, out of a church, leaving it a dead organization rather than a living organism. When we are lukewarm, He will spew us out of His mouth. We lose. He doesn't lose. He gets rid of lukewarm performers. Lord, help us. In your flesh, you will never appreciate this point, but it's the by far the most essential and important. In our lengthy study of Bible hermeneutics, in one document on our website, it is 75 pages long. Hermeneutics is the science of Bible interpretation. In that document, you get a little ways into it, and there is a page in red. And that page in red says, stop and do not go past this point until you understand these things. And then it gives 10 
personal, spiritual qualifications necessary to understand God's Word. Most Christian men, they want to dive into the technical rules of Bible interpretation. They want to know the rules of hermeneutics. They want to be smarter than their brother. They want to be able to give Bible answers. They want to be able to answer and explain problem texts in the Bible. But it says, don't go past this point. Because understanding the Word of God is not just a science that a reprobate, natural man, or carnal Christian can apply rules and find out what the Bible means. It is a spiritual gift from the God of heaven. And so you have to have yourself personally and spiritually qualified in order to advance. And I say the same thing to you right now. Though I'm going to deal with some very practical things today about how to be happy, I have to say, tell you right now, if you were to do all of them and sacrifice your relationship with the Lord, you will still be unhappy compared to a person who doesn't even do those things, but walks with God every day. Lord, help us. The Bible is an if-then handbook for God's blessings in this life and eternal life by the evidence that we give. Your fellowship, your friendship with God includes your relationship to His Word, to His worship, and to His people. Because they're all connected. The Bible tells us that. As I have already labored for four sermons on this subject, there's plenty of reminders how fellowship with God is happiness. Delighting in the Lord. Delighting in the Lord Himself. He can give more delight than anything else in life can give you. Just Himself. Delighting in the Lord. Much has been preached and written on this point many other times. Obedience is your life of blessing. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. This great God, we delight in Him because of His perfect attributes. We covered all of His attributes in a sermon series called Knowing God. It was a gift from God to us. We are nothing. Your pastor is nothing. But there isn't an outline like it. It's all of God's grace. He knows we delight in Him. So He's given us a few more cookies. And we thank Him. Deuteronomy 32.46 Moses said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do. All the words of this law, these are the last words of Moses. Amen. These are his last words. Look at verse 49. He's going to have to go be buried. But I'm still in verse 46. Set your hearts. Did you know that you can set your heart? Amen. Your heart doesn't lead you. You tell your heart where to go. You feed it inputs. Set your heart. Unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do, all the words of this law, for it is not a vain thing for you. I'm not preaching you some vanity and vexation of spirit. I'm preaching the salvation of your life on earth. For it is not a vain thing for you because it is your life. And through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. That's it. Moses is gone. 
Those are the words of Moses. He's not talking about eternal life here. This isn't going to heaven when you die. This is having heaven while you're alive. On earth. Under the sun. A portion that God gives. It's by delighting in Him and obeying His word. And so we have to start with that. If you cheat and do not walk with God and delight in Him and obey Him, it doesn't matter if you do all the rest of the things I'm going to tell you. Self-examination is a command. It's a necessity. You need to consider your ways to turn into Him more perfectly. If you're not perfectly happy, thrilled and overjoyed with life, consider your ways. You're doing something wrong. And turn unto the Lord. Confess your sins or you hurt you and you beg God to chasten you and make your situation worse. Your life can get worse than it is right now. Your life will get worse than it is right now if you do not listen to the warning that you're hearing right now and turn from your foolish and wicked ways. God knows you better than you know you. He can turn you inside out and tear your heart in ways that you didn't know it could be torn. And He's right in doing it when we forsake Him and His ways. God sent His Son as the greatest gift to you and any life that is not Christ-centered will cost you the greatest source of joy. And it'll cost you God's disfavor for neglecting His Son because He's jealous for His Son. The Lord Jesus Christ, who could, what kind of a gift, how can we even describe it? You're going to have to wait a little while because we, before we get to the Lord's table, He has given me a few things to share with you about His Son. Amen. And right now I kind of dislike this subject that's in front of me because I'd rather tell you that. But until we get there, bear with me and let's listen to the whole Bible because the Bible does want us to be happy on earth. But we've got to remember His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You worry about our president. I don't know why. You have a king that is perfect. You lose friends and you grieve, and I don't know why. You have a friend that is perfect. And we can go on and on and on about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never be able to plumb all the depths Explore all the shores of that bottomless, breath, breathless sea of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right. Not only has God given us His Son, but that Son went to bat for us, as we shall hear in a little while. And He has purchased for us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God among us. Amen. It is not just a presence and it is not just a power. It is the person of God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ died on the cross, went up into heaven, and poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost upon the church. And that Holy Ghost is now present with us forever. God in us. God in me. God in you. God in us. God around us. We can and should be joyful. He's the power. He's the person. He's the object. He's the praise. So we start there. If we cheat God, we're cheating ourselves. He's our exceeding great reward. 
So you're going to trade your exceeding great reward in for some soap bubble. Some soap bubble like a job, like a spouse, like a house, like a car, like a motorcycle, like a better body, like nicer clothes, like a big vacation. Oh, you're kidding me. You are kidding me. All those things combined are trash in comparison to the Lord Himself. Lord. Second, I've, I've taught, I've taught that first subject so many times. If you don't know that, then you haven't listened. And if you haven't listened, I can't help you. So, I'm through. I'll be teaching you that one rule as well. I can't change the world. I can't change you. God's gotta change you and you've gotta change you. So I live rather peacefully. If someone wants to rebel against the gospel, bye bye. Have a nice life. I know you're going to be ruined and my God's going to destroy you and tear you in pieces. And it gives me a measure of joy. You say you're the cruelest pastor I've ever heard. Well, that could be true. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? Lest my conscience smite me, I will chase a person a little ways, but not very far. I will dig and dung, according to Luke 13, 6 through 9, a little bit. Then I ask the Lord to cut the tree down, because ugly fig trees cumber the ground and waste it in a good vineyard. And that little parable is very, very dear to me. And it's a pastoral parable. You might not fully appreciate it. I will tell the Lord, I'll dig and dung, and you know that sometimes I dig and dung for a long time. And there have been cases in this church where basically the whole church has wondered why a person is still a member here and the pastor hasn't led the church to throw them out on their ear. But I'll dig and dung for quite a while, but the Lord will come and cut them down, and you can trust me that I'm in my office asking him to do so. That when he's ready to cut them down, he'll do it. Because one of the burdens that we cannot bear is other burdens. We can only bear them to a point. Then Galatians 6.5 tells us, every man shall bear his own burden. And that's one of the lessons of life that has to be learned or you're burdened with a burden that you can't carry and you're burdened with a burden that just eats you alive. Because there's a lot of stubborn, rebellious, foolish people in this world. There are a lot of reprobates that pretend they're Christians. There's a lot of carnal Christians that act like they're spiritual Christians. There's a lot of backslidden Christians. And if you try to carry all of them and change all of them, it'll kill you. So we have a rule. Every man shall bear his own burden. Right. I'll help you as, as, as long as you show me that you want to do what's right. I will be there and help you in this church, out of this church, wherever. But if I don't see a spirit of repentance and a spirit of humility and a spirit of contrition and a spirit of zeal for doing what is right, I do not have time for you. I want to go sit and play checkers with my wife, which is ten times better than wasting my time on you. 
There are too many blessings that the Lord's given us. And if we don't respond to those blessings, if those blessings don't move us, how in the world am I going to move you? Lord, move everyone that's movable. Lord, move everyone that is yours. And let us see the distinction as clear as day. Those that are yours and those that are not yours. Number two. Your spirit, you need to rule it. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? If your spirit is depressed, if your spirit is discouraged, if your spirit is broken, and I don't mean in a godly way, I just mean you've been hurt so many times, you just feel like you should give up. Well, who can bear it? And you can't bear anything. You've lost the power. Because God gave you a thing called your spirit that is able to sustain your infirmity when you choose to rule it and direct it and use it. It is a powerful thing. Even natural men whose spirits are committed to accomplishing some great goal, even though it might be fraught with great risk, can do great things with their spirit. They're not just a blob of flesh, bone, and 70% water. There's a spirit inside them. And so you've got to rule your spirit. A man's spirit can sustain him, even a natural man, but you've got to rule that spirit. Recall that earlier, last Lord's Day, I taught you, though I did not fully expand upon it, that happiness is a choice. Because you can choose to direct your spirit. And you should direct your spirit to be happy in the Lord your God, His Son Jesus Christ, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, and His church and His Word. And all the myriad of blessings that He gives us every day of our lives. You have to rule your spirit against negative thinking just like against any other sin. Any sin that tempts you, you have to tell your spirit, don't look at that woman and think those kind of thoughts. Don't let those words come out of your mouth that you want to say that are cruel to someone. You have to rule your spirit all the time. Get out of bed. It's time to get up early and spend a few minutes with the Lord before you go to work. That's ruling your spirit. And the same, don't you be unhappy. What are you unhappy about? What are you bitter about? What are you bearing a grudge for? Be cheerful. What's that little chorus the pastor taught you two weeks ago? Sing it to yourself. Cheer up, ye saints. Should I? Say no. Cheer up, ye saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to make you feel afraid. There's nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails. So why not trust Him and shout? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. Rule your spirit. You say, it just overpowers me. No, it does not. You give in to it. You're lazy, you're weak, and you have bad habits. You have bad habits. Each person likes to look at other people and see how they don't rule their spirit and point fingers and point fingers. They're experts at trying to remove a beam, I mean, a a moat from someone else's eye while they've got a beam in their own. If you're prone to moods, if you're prone to depression, if you're prone to bitterness, if you're prone to criticism, if you're prone to discontentment, irritation, frustration, you're not ruling your spirit. Those are all choices. Circumstances can't dictate those things. Lord, help us rule our spirits. 
No one's got a wilder spirit in here than your pastor. It's a choice. And we're infants and we're rebels and we're cruel when we don't rule our spirits. Keeping your heart with all diligence is doing what? Ruling your spirit. For out of it is your whole life. Lord, help us. This is rule number two. Rule your spirit. Happiness is a choice. Those feelings that come at you, and they are strong. They do not control you. They do not govern you. They're not stronger than you. You can put them down. You can crush them. If we say we can't, then that means we cannot stop any sin, not just the sin of being unhappy. But we can, and we should. The man who chooses to rule his spirit is a great man in the Bible. Proverbs 16, 32. It is your spirit. Take charge of your spirit and rule it. Don't let the passions of your flesh come up to be angry, to be discouraged, to be whipped, to be beaten. My life's a mess. Nothing's working out today. Everything is working out today except the two stupid things that you're thinking about. Your name is still in the book of life. Jesus is still on His throne. The sun is still shining. Your heart is still beating. And your liver is still processing. And you want to think about your hot water heater? Unbelievable. Anybody ever guilty of anything like that? Listen, I can hit two red lights in a row and be like that. I can go through a whole analysis in about ten seconds of how those traffic lights are timed by retards. But I have two consciences. Two consciences and one's a little louder than the other. And she sits in the past... Oh, I gave that one away. She says, what do you believe about authority? And who bought those engineers and assigned them the task of timing those lights? That is a good point! But you know, we ought to be doing those things... You all know my wife. She does, she does that very seldom. But when she does it, it's pretty effective. <laughs> when the quiet one speaks up and says something, and I need it. It's a choice to rule our spirit. So when, when those feelings come on, I just, feel, I just feel dead today. Oh, this meal wasn't very, breakfast wasn't very good. There's a cloud in the sky. I hit a couple red lights. My car needs an oil change, and I hate wasting the time. They're so slow. I stopped at a fast food restaurant. It should have been called Slow Meal Place. All these things add up. We're irritated. We're upset. We're angry. It's a choice. There's a great God in heaven. He's made me his son. The The only reason that a fast food restaurant is a slow meal place the only reason that I don't like that cloud in the sky is because I've, I and my ancestors have screwed up the whole place. God was perfect and God is still perfect because he still shows so much mercy in a sinful world occupied and inhabited by sinners. Everything is still wonderful. You're just looking at a couple of things and you need to tell your spirit, I will not allow that to happen. 
We do this about lustful thoughts. We do this about fantasies. We do this about words that want to explode out of our mouth that we shouldn't say. We choose not to let it happen. So rule your spirit and not let those feelings come up. Just say, I'm not going to be like that. That is a cruel, that, that is being cruel to everyone else around me. That is being cruel to God and not giving him what he deserves. That is being totally unfair because I've got a million good things in my life and I'm worried about two bad things. And the bad things aren't really bad things because God allowed them to happen. And he would only have allowed them to happen if they were for my good. You've never had a bad event in your life. Get over it. Get over yourself if you look at it the right way. Job made a conscious choice to look at the big disasters in his life by faith in God. You haven't had a Job experience. And the things that you think are a Job experience are because you caused them. Job didn't cause his. The Lord gave... The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Was he mourning? It says he was. Did he rend his clothes? It says he did. But his spirit was still. It's a W word. What did he do? When he, he worshipped. He fell on the ground and he worshipped. Look at Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Wives, do you believe your husbands should and can say no when they're thinking about fantasizing about another woman? Good, I'm glad you agree with me on that. Wives, can you tell your mouth not to say the words that are there that would be disrespectful and irreverent to your husband? I'll help you with that one. Yes, you can. Easier than your husband's situation. You say you're siding with the men. Nah, maybe. It's my job. We can do this. When it says rejoice, it's a command. Right. If it's a command, it's a choice. Right. If it's a choice, and it's our spirit that sustains us or our spirit that wounds us, we can rule our spirits. And the Bible says so. Every day you make this choice. Every day you're going to get up and something's going to go wrong because you messed the place up. And when I say you, I mean all of us together with our first parents, Adam and Eve. We messed the place up. But there's still a billion good things. And they're all around us. That What does that tell you about yourself? When I look in the mirror and I think about what I'm saying to you right now, total depravity. I do not need a systematic theology to tell me about total depravity. I just need to look in the mirror and realize there's a billion good things and I am worried about two things that I think are bad that are really good. Sick. Perverse, twisted, corrupt. Look at Psalm 77. Here's what, here's your problem. Verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity. Do you understand that? This is your infirmity. When you start thinking everything's going bad, God's forsaken you and your life is a loss, it is your infirmity. It is not God's problem. It is your problem. It's not circumstances. It's your infirmity. I love this verse. Verse 9, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Is this the same psalmist that likes to write about 150 times that God is merciful, His mercy endureth forever? Did he write a psalm that every single verse said, His mercy endureth forever? His mercy endureth forever? 
His mercy endureth forever. Did he write that? He says in verse 9, Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said, this is my infirmity. He knows how to deal with it. Do you know how to deal with it? Here's how you deal with it. I have an infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember his big things. His big rights that he threw for his people. His big right arm that reached out and saved his people. I will remember. I will not let this infirmity pull me down. I will meditate also. I'm sorry. Verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Do you see the transition in the middle of verse 10 of Psalm 77? I've got an infirmity. This is how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to take my medicine. And do you know what your medicine is? All the works of God. Who He is and how faithful He's been to you. Take it, brethren. Take it. And talk about it with some others who also got up that morning. And had a bad hair day. Be thankful that you have hair. There are some in here that would be thankful for your bad hair. Please, don't let those souls go home with a heavy heart. David encouraged himself in the Lord when everything and everyone was against him. It's ruling your spirit. There's three parts to you. There's you. There's a law in your mind that wants to do what's right. God gave you that. There is a law in your flesh that wants to sin. And in the last four verses of Romans 7, Paul very clearly describes these three entities. I myself is in the middle. And I myself chooses to obey the law of my mind, which is right here in Psalm 77. And I myself is sometimes taken down by my flesh. So then with the mind, I myself... So then with the mind, I myself... Serve. Excuse me. See, I'm about to have a bad day. Romans chapter 7, 22 through 25. Why can I remember that, but can't start the verse I want? I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. To the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. God knows that I only want to obey the law of my mind, the inward man that he gave me. Sometimes, however, my flesh gets the better of me and takes me into captivity and I do something that I shouldn't do. I say something I shouldn't, I think something I shouldn't, or I do something I shouldn't. But overall, I keep the law of my mind. You have a choice. And and sometimes you're going to fail. And has the Lord given us a perfect cure for failure? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we get to start over every day if it takes it. Life is a series of choices and you choose every day with all kinds of responses to a wide variety of situations and ruling your spirit for joy is managing your life. Manage your life by choosing to be joyful. Number three, here's a simple one. 
But it's true. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Honoring parents. Honoring parents. When you look at the Ten Commandments, it's the first commandment with a promise. There are lots of other commandments given that have promises attached to them after this one. Outside the Ten. But inside the Ten, there's a promise given that if you'll honor your parents, God will bless you with a good life and a long life. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. A good life that's a long life is a happy life. Is that obvious to you? A good life that is a long life is a happy life. And you get that by honoring your parents. It's so simple. I don't need to preach on honoring your parents. I've done it many times before. I just want to remind you that when you're thinking about happiness and you're wondering why you're not as happy as you could be, should be, go do something for your parents. Send them a note. Thank them for what they've done for you. Take them out to eat. And if you're a parent, stop wishing your children would do it to you because that selfishness that will ruin your life. Think about your parents. You say, I don't have any. Then think about your aunts and uncles, because God puts them all in the same category. Think about your in-laws, because God considers them the same. We had a choice to make this week. My wife and I, for two dead parents, a very clear choice to us of something we didn't want to do, of something we didn't need to do, but we're doing it for two dead parents. Because the two dead parents would want her to do what she's going to do. And so we do it. We do it cheerfully. We do it with excitement. We do it as unto the Lord. Because they're not even around. But it doesn't even matter. We want to honor them. We want to honor their memory. We want to honor what they would want at that moment of grief in another person's life. It's nothing. We're nothing. We're nothing but a bunch of selfish sinners. And I'm talking about my wife and me. I just want to... That's the example that came to mind. Forgive me. If God promises your life to go well, the result will be joyful, successful living. You can only walk with God by honoring your parents right. Malachi 4, Luke 1. It's the ministry of John the Baptist. Parents can be a two-edged sword. If you don't honor them and please them, then the relationship is tense, bitter, and not what it could be between the two of you. And you bring the Lord's chastening into your life. And you lose His blessings. I mean, it's just terrible. That's a three-edged sword. If you do not obey, not forget the word obey. If you do not honor your parents, it's a totally different thing. I'm assuming you obey your parents if you're still at home and you're not emancipated. And even if you are, if they ask something that makes sense and is reasonable, but it's to honor them. It's to treat them specially. It's to treat them kindly. It's to treat them reverently. It's to be thankful to them for what they've done for you. If you don't do it, you just lose on every, on several sides. Honor your in-laws. Love them. We're flat out excited. And I'm glad it cost a few bucks. Because if it doesn't cost anything, if it doesn't cost me losing my wife for a few days, if it doesn't cost a little bit of this stupid green stuff, then I can't give a gift. And I can't honor. 
Honor costs. So spend it. The judgment for dishonoring parents in the Bible is severe and repeated. And you've heard me on that subject before. Deuteronomy 27.16 says, If you set light about your parents, you are cursed. Just setting light. Cursed is he that setteth light about his parents. Deuteronomy 27.16 The eye that mocketh his father and mother, the eagles of the valley shall eat it out. If you roll your eyes at your parents, God's word says the eagles of the valley will eat it out. God's had mercy upon me. Dad, you slipped away too early last Sunday. He knows what I mean. Okay, look at 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23, we've looked at three things. God has to be the foundation. Ruling your spirit. And then, think about your parents. Now, the list is going to get long, so you'll, you're not going to be able to remember them all, but they're all going to be in an outline that will be on the website. 1 Samuel 23. Pick some good friends, brethren. You need good friends, and you need to keep those friends in a good relationship. I love this verse. I send this verse back a time or two a week to people that write us and thank us and bless us and encourage us for our feeble little website and for the flawed preaching that comes out of this pulpit. 1 Samuel 23, 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. David was hiding in the forest. Jonathan, and it's pointed out here, he was Saul's son, had that point been made before this? More than once? <laughs> it's to get a point across. Here's a, here's a man, 25 years, David Sr., who's the king in waiting, and he's going to the wood to strengthen David's hand in God. That's what we need to do for each other. And you need special friends to do that. Special friends that don't want to talk about politics, don't want to talk about your health, don't want to talk about junk. Are you happy in the Lord, brother? Look what the Lord's done for us. That kind of a friend. Pick them. Pick them well. There are precious brethren that speak often about God to one another. Malachi chapter 3. Two are better than one. Two are better than one because they help each other up. And we're talking about being helped up in spirit which takes a little bit of different work than some other things that we do to help each other up. You know, we help each other move. We help each other get a car repaired. We help each other with a plumber that, that you can trust and so forth. But we can lift each other up with words and kindnesses. A, a kind word is a precious thing the Bible teaches us. Let me see if I can find that one. It'll come up later. Oh, Lord, thank you. It's not all gone. He... Proverbs 12.25 Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. Heaviness makes a heart and a man stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Just by saying something nice to someone. Lord, help us to have friends and help us to be friends like that. The only friends worth having are those that encourage you to more joy in Christ. Marriage can only exceed spiritual friends if your marriage is spiritual. That's why I have it here in the list. 
Church members have duties toward one another that would help joy by comforting one another and bearing one another's burdens and warning one another as it's taught in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Like good cologne and per- or perfume blesses men's through their olfactory senses and their nose, so does hearty counsel from a brother. Hearty counsel. Loving, caring, concerned, empathetic counsel. It stirs us like a good aroma. If blessings bring rejoicing, all others should rejoice. I send those updates out to you. They take time. I send them to you because I want you to know who's been blessed. I want you to know who's rejoicing. I want you to know who's mourning so that you can rejoice, bless, and mourn with them. Because I want this congregation to know each other like the Lord expects us to know each other. We're all part of the same body. And if your stomach has the flu, you lie your whole body down. You lay your whole body down. And so we want to know about each other. And the Bible tells us, rejoice with them that do rejoice. And when someone else is celebrating with you, it just adds to your celebration, thankfulness and joy. Praise, commendation, rewards should be a big part of our Christian repertoire. They're in the Bible. Look, remember Romans 16? What in the world, in that doctrinal epistle, do we have a chapter listing all those names that people have read about for 2,000 years without ever knowing them? Because Paul wanted to praise them. And Paul commended them. And it should stir us up that praise and commendation are good words that we can give to people. It's a gift to say something nice. The society and the group activities of a church are God's design for the profit of all. When everyone's there with the right attitude participating, it is a tremendous blessing. This morning, this morning before our service started, 20 20 minutes before the hour, the place was already packed. Male voices were heard everywhere. Dozens of them. I wanted to grab each one of you this morning. Do you hear that noise? Do you hear that noise? God has not left you desolate in the earth. Listen to all those men that have come to this church service early. Not a one of them is talking about sports. Not a one of them is talking about politics. They're not talking about health. They're talking about important things. Let's have a great day in the Lord today. The Lord is good. Wonderful. It's the, it's the benefit of a church. There's a lesson to be learned from the locusts, remember? Proverbs chapter 30, the locusts. They go forth by bands without a king directing them to it because there's profit in those numbers. Selfish loners are killjoys to all, especially themselves. They've just never known the joy of being with a group of people and participating I would be a loner by nature. But because the Bible tells me it is superior to be part of a group like a church and to participate, I am what I am and I do what I do today. Stay away from negative situations or negative people. If you hang around with negative people, they're going to pull you down and destroy you. The Bible says when you go out to eat with a certain kind of person, put a knife to your throat. It's telling you that there are people that you've got to be very careful of and you don't want to be around negative people. You want to be around happy, upbeat, positive people because it is contagious. Enthusiastic people breed it. Parents, 
Make sure you don't discourage your children because God told you fathers not to do that. Encourage them instead. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath lest they be discouraged. It doesn't matter what you think you're doing. What's the effect on them? Measure that as well. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath lest they be discouraged, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our Father in heaven gives good gifts and pities us in our weakness and is a wonderful heavenly Father. And Psalm 103, verses 1 through 18 is just magnificent. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. That is a father to children on earth. Are you that kind of a father? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Are you beneficial? Do you benefit? Do you reward? Do you gift? Do you please your children? Unhappy parents will create unhappy children and or drive them out of the house. It is the duty and it is a privilege of parents to create a hopeful environment, a peaceful environment, a happy house, fun and love. I was forced to preach for the fathers of this church because they couldn't keep a right balance. Fun and love. There's a place for fun and love in the home. Just like when the Word of God was read and those Jews under Nehemiah heard things that they had not been doing, they stilled the people. Don't you dare mourn today. Don't you dare be sad today. This day is holy. Do you know what we think when you hear the words, this day is holy? Do you know what we think when we hear the words, let's worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? That we button everything up and we come in and we sit like a praying mantis. That is not taught in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. In that Old Testament worship service, be glad! Send portions! Make immediate arrangements for a celebration! Because you have understood the word of the Lord, and not only had they understood it, they were convicted by it. And that is reason to celebrate. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Terror is not a motivator. Duty is not a motivator. Not like joy and love. Those are motivators. And I've tried to convey that. Lord, help us. Parents, don't create a hopeless environment at home. An unhappy environment. A critical environment. A nitpicking environment. Create a loose, warm, friendly, loving, hopeful, helpful environment. The Lord does every single day. He kisses us with His sunshine. He embraces us with the warmth. All the goodness that He shoves at us in all five senses. Plus we have a spiritual sense that is number six that exceeds all those five. Do you give to your children? Don't discourage them is what I'm saying. A family can have a great deal of fun and pleasure together by God's creation of the family for such things. Before we go, before we go to break, let me, let me get one more in or we're going to be in serious trouble after break. And that is the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes. That's the book for me. Amen. 
Do you remember that little chorus? We used to sing the B-I-B-L-E. The Bible is an incredible gift from God that should lighten your dark heart and day. Now let me go to a third level. I don't want to be preaching on happiness right now because I'm not happy enough for that. I'm happier for some things I want to say to you before we have the Lord's Supper. But let me go to a third level. You had three chapters assigned to you by the providence of God this past week that are fabulous. Isaiah 1 through 6. Do you read the Bible? Do you read it? There's 1,440 minutes in a day. The vast majority of those minutes you waste in vain and vexing pursuits. In comparison, you don't have to read the Bible all day. But did you give it a few minutes? Isaiah 6? Listen, here's how far I can get. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. Forget the rest of it. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. It grabbed me at 18. It grabbed me at 18. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. High and lifted up. Do you love the Bible? Amen. It can't help you because God inspired it. It can't help you because God preserved it. It can't help you because you have it in every room in your house. It can only help you if you read it or you love hearing it preached. It's a spiritual book. You have a sixth sense. It's your new man, your spirit. It can only be fed by this book. In just a few minutes, this book can feed that spirit. If you approach this book humbly, begging, Lord, open mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's Psalm 119, verse 18. That's how David prayed about the Bible. And you meditatively read it to meet God. It will feed your soul in just a few minutes and empower you with joy, victory, triumph, confidence, boldness over anything that can happen that day. Only takes a few minutes. I, I have reduced the reading program for this church to one chapter a day. The, the 365 easiest chapters in the Bible. Except for Psalm 118 um, or 17. It just takes a few minutes. It'll feed your soul. It'll light you up. It'll lift you up. It'll take away your burdens. It will remind you of the promises of It'll just feed you. It is a supernatural book. You have a supernatural work done inside of you. The two of them can meet in the pages of Scripture. I'm not suggesting anybody take an hour, two hours, three hours a day to read the Bible. One chapter. But to think about the words. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. Which words do you think mean something to me? King Isaiah and his death. Please understand me. I don't mean to be disrespectful to a king. I couldn't care less. 
I saw also the Lord. And that little transaction that took place when Isaiah saw God, this was Friday's chapter. I was so messed up on Friday morning writing you, I wanted to crawl through the internet and tell you, please read Isaiah 6. He sees the seraphims. He sees his train filling the temple. He sees his throne high and lifted up. He's struck by the cries of holiness about this God of his own unworthiness and the woeful sins of his lips. An angel comes with a coal, a live coal, from off the altar that's before Almighty God and says, Thy sin is taken away and thy iniquity is purged. (sighs) Then he hears God talking. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The Trinity in Isaiah 6. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah, go and tell these people that hearing, they'll not believe. Seeing, they'll not perceive. Make this people fat until I destroy them and there aren't any left. Lord, how long? Till they're all gone, except a tenth that I'll preserve as the seed of the nation. There's so much in that little tiny chapter. That passage is quoted over and over and over and over in the New Testament. David, who was a king, and had all the pleasures that kings can afford by position and power and riches, who had a harem, exalted the Bible's value and pleasure above much fine gold and above honey and the honeycomb. Value and pleasure. David found delight in God's words even in the midst of trouble. Look at Psalm 119, 143. Psalm 119, 143. I would have come through the internet to you this past week. I tried. I wrote it. I used exclamation points. I was trying to shake your computer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, right now for when I was 18. I was beside myself with Isaiah 6. I didn't care about the other 1,188 chapters in the Bible. It's wonderful, wonderful moments. Look at 143. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. You ever feel like that? Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. Yet thy commandments are my delights. Look at that combination. How about another one just like it? 92. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. He was afflicted, but he also had an infirmity in his spirit. But look at what saved him. The delights of God's word. You don't have to read it all day. Just read it for a few minutes, meditatively, humbly, begging, pleading, praying, asking for God to reveal himself to you through it. 
Meals make you happy? They do. Good food makes us happy. But Job esteemed God's words above his necessary food. Job 23. Jeremiah ate God's words and found them to be the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. So, I give you the word of God. I remind you parents to make it an encouraging and hopeful place at home. I encourage you to find friends that will encourage you in the Lord. Rule your spirit. and Put the Lord first. And you can live the happy, abundant life that he wants for his children. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.